Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we continue on our sermon series through John's Gospel, we've come to, once again, one of those unique stories that is a story unique to John and his Gospel as compared to the three synoptic Gospels. We ran into that in chapter 3 with the story of Nicodemus. And then we ran into it again in chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And if you don't know what I'm referring to, go home and read those stories or get the sermon on CD or go online. But we come to another story in John 8, the woman caught in adultery. Very unique. And it's interesting because when you first read it, you think the story is about the woman. You think it's about her being caught in adultery. And that's partially the focus of the story, but it's really not what the story is totally all about or what the goal of the scribes and Pharisees who caught this woman is really all about. It's really about them trying to discredit Jesus. That's why the story. It's a very sordid story if you really get right down to it. Because if you understand the whole picture and what's going on and what would be going on in the Jewish mindset and what's going on in the Jewish law and what should have happened, you realize this is not just about an adulterous situation. This is about a setup. Because think about it just for a minute. If I understand adultery, it's not just one person. It's two. And if you know the Old Testament law, which again, remember, the scribes and the Pharisees are experts in the law. And they're trying to catch Jesus in a point of the law. And they're trying to basically discredit him and make him appear to be a fraud to all the people, the crowds that are gathering around listening to him at this moment. Because he would reveal himself as either not being an expert or not willing to follow through with the law. And they themselves weren't following through with the law because what it says, Leviticus 20, Deuteronomy 22, is if you catch two people in the act of adultery, you're to stone them both. Where's the guy? There's something more going on here. Probably they knew the woman to be a sinner. Probably they knew the situation. Probably they made a deal with the guy. You need to understand the situation. It is a setup. And if they can expose Jesus, discredit Jesus, 
that all those who have put their faith in Jesus, the disciples, would disperse. He's got a crowd gathered around him at the temple. As we pointed out when he had fed the 5,000, his reputation was growing. His fame was growing. And they were being threatened by it. So here's a way at the temple, the seat of the law, to undermine his ministry. And the word would go out. Now, you need to really understand if, in fact, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, it would be similar to a drug bust. They wouldn't say to her, by the way, go ahead and get dressed. We'll wait for you. They would grab her and they would rush her out. And the scripture, in a very subtle way, makes the point, standing her in front of everyone. And it's really interesting how Jesus reacts. You need to understand, he doesn't appear, at least in the scriptures, to be embarrassed or offended. Jesus is not unnerved. You know, in a situation like this, sometimes you would want to get away. Jesus just handles everything that comes along in his life because he is full of the Spirit. Because he's always equipped. Because he's always ready. And so Jesus stays calm and focused. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about Jesus. He doesn't get thrown. He just takes things in stride all the time. He always operates with God's grace because he's full of the Spirit. There's a wonderful line in John chapter 2, if you read all of John chapter 2. And it says, Jesus did not entrust himself to, to any man because he knows what is in man. In other words, Jesus knows what we're capable of, knows what we're capable of in terms of devising things like these scribes and Pharisees did in being sorted, knows what we're capable of in terms of the sin in our lives, so he's not caught off guard by anything. Even though he himself is without sin, he is fully aware of all the temptations that are able to come into the human heart because he's human. Never forget that. He was not thrown off by the woman at the well in John chapter 4. He is not thrown off by anything that he encounters. Because he's fully human. The Word, John 1, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He knows. That's why God can deal with whatever challenges, failures, sin in your life. Because Jesus knows. But he was always about love and righteousness. You know, sometimes when we're caught in situations like this, you know what ends up happening to us? The focus becomes us. Jesus didn't allow that to happen in terms of getting off of 
what needed to be focused on. Because we're embarrassed, because we're offended, we make the focus about my feelings, about me. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus responds with grace, with wisdom, with God's love, with God's truth. Right into the situation. He's not shy. He's not afraid. He's not offended. He just addresses it. So the controversy, this controversy, this situation takes place in the shadow of the temple. What a perfect place. Even though the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking, we got him. And look at where we got him. These crowds are gathered around. And it is the perfect place because even though the scribes and Pharisees, who are supposed to be the guardians of the law, the guardians of the sacrificial system, the law that guides us into what it means to follow God and to walk with him, the sacrificial system, which is supposed to be about forgiveness of sin, and they don't care a hoot really about that. It's more about guarding their territory, being legalists and being ritualists. But Jesus is about the heart. And when he was teaching there, he was teaching about the kingdom of God, about salvation. It's all about the Old Testament. Remember, the New Testament hasn't been written yet. So he's elucidating on the very thing that they are supposed to be guarding. But they're not handling it too well. And this situation kind of reveals that. With this woman, they are ruthless. They're heartless. They don't care anything about this woman in terms of her life, her repentance, her dignity, her salvation. Nothing. They care about being right and catching Jesus. That's what they care about. And that's really the scene that we're dealing with here. It's a major confrontation. Not only is it a major confrontation, it's how Jesus is going to handle the law. And all these people are watching, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the big shots, in the shadow of the temple. It's the people that they had with them, the entourage, and it's the crowds that Jesus was teaching. Have you ever been in a public situation, whether it's with your family or whether it's in like the mall or something like that, maybe with one of your kids And there's a confrontation. And it's awkward. Do you know what I mean by that? You ever been in one of those with your family? You want to say, can you just, the two of you, just take this to the other room, just deal with it, the two of you? But no, people sometimes have to deal with things in a very public way. Did you ever notice that? And it's really, really awkward. It's almost like the Southwest... Airline commercial. Want to get away? I do. You know, I'd rather just deal with things one-on-one because, I mean, Jesus even says in Matthew 18, one-on-one, then you take a couple of people, and then, you know, then you bring it before the church. It's not supposed to be like a screaming match in public. It gets very awkward. Even in families, family gatherings, like Thanksgiving or Christmas that's coming up, they'll probably be one of those blow-ups where it just gets like, oh, can't they just deal with it, please? You know?
But Jesus is more concerned about the bigger picture. He's concerned about her salvation, her life, because they want to stone her. He's concerned about the rest of the people that are listening and watching. He's even concerned about the accusers. What's in their heart? What's going on? And so what does he do? You know, it'd be tempting to know if you've never read this before, if you don't know the story, what you would do. I mean, you know, I'd like to say, you know, as I said earlier, where's the guy? You know, I'd like to get it right with the law, you know. It's like, really, you just brought her? You want to get the law right? You know, it's not what he did. Jesus very calmly sat down and wrote on the ground. I wish John had said, this is what he wrote, but he doesn't do it. Drives me crazy. Now I have to speculate what it is he wrote. I can come up with a bunch of possibilities. He could have written the Ten Commandments. You know, because they're only focused on thou shalt not commit adultery. What about all the other ones? He could have written the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Gone on to written the second great commandment out of Leviticus. Love your neighbors yourself. And the question, how are you doing with these? He could have written the guy's name who got away. That would have been really cool. He could have written some of their names. And maybe a sin or two next to their names. We don't know. But Jesus was quiet. And he allowed simplicity and silence. And the conviction of the Holy Spirit to move in on these guys. See, sometimes we want to respond so quickly and get it right that we don't give room for the Holy Spirit to move. We don't become silent and prayerful and careful in our response. Either because we want to get it right and we want to do an in-your-face We want to defend ourselves. It's all about our feelings. It's not about the situation. It's not about our modeling, our witness. Either we want to win or we want to protect our turf. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to move, which Jesus did. And what happened? What happened? They just started walking away. Nothing else was said. It must have been a silent scene except for one thing. The stones are dropping to the ground. And they just walk away. 
Interesting thought. And what does Jesus do? You know, he's the only one there, really, that can live into what he said. Whoever's without sin casts the first stone. He could have done that. Did you ever think about that? He didn't. He chose love and mercy. He chose forgiveness. Because that's really what God is about. That's what he wants to offer everyone. Forgiveness. That's why Jesus went to the cross. Sometimes we know we're sinners. Sometimes it's really obvious. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we deny. But that's what he offers to all of us. And maybe it became obvious to those men. Maybe it never became obvious to the scribes and Pharisees. It was probably really obvious to this woman. But what he says is, I don't condemn you. It's the follow-up verse to John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The next verse says, he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's why he came. If you really understand. That's what he's about here. He's about trying to reach this woman and reach everybody around him. That's what he's trying to do. So he says, I don't condemn you. But he's not offering cheap grace. He's not offering and saying, hey, whatever you want to do, you're cool. I got you covered. He says, go and sin no more. You know, so often in our lives, we love the forgiveness, but we want God to continue to enable us. It's like we're making a deal with God. God, you understand this is really who I am, and I'm going to keep doing this, but I still want your forgiveness, okay? That's not real repentance. Jesus doesn't condone. He doesn't enable. He doesn't accommodate. He says, go and sin no more. Now that you've been given this gift, this grace, this forgiveness, you need to seek a transformed life. At that point, she may not have even understood Exactly what's going on. Just like Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. But once we understand that God's forgiveness is breaking into our lives, that we seek to have that transformed life. That we are changed people because we understand the cross and what it cost him. For that forgiveness that we're talking about. You know, Paul writes in Romans 5, while we were weak, Jesus died for the ungodly. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were enemies. And it's really interesting, in this story here, you really get a sense of all three. That this woman was weak 
And she was a sinner. She was in a very vulnerable spot. And Jesus forgave. And the guys who were there, the scribes and the Pharisees, what were they? They were the sinners and they were the enemies. They were trying to get Jesus. And Christ dies for all of them. He offers forgiveness to all of them. It doesn't matter what we do in our lives. Jesus came to save us. He offers. It's our choice. You know, it's interesting. We're never told where any of these people end up. We're never told this woman's name. Whatever happened to her. But I want to fast forward just a little bit in in John's Gospel because there's a very similar story that's told in terms of a woman's response and other people standing around. And that's in John 12. When the woman comes who has been forgiven and known she's been forgiven and healed. And she weeps on Jesus' feet to wash his feet and dries his feet with her hair and anoints him with costly perfume. And in another gospel, Jesus says to the owner of the house, you know, you never responded to me like this because you really don't understand forgiveness. And Judas, who's standing around, says... You know, what a waste of money. We could have really used that. We could have given that to the poor, and John puts in parentheses, yeah, I used to steal out of the purse. You know, the reality is, if we never really understand or comprehend how we need to be forgiven, the depth of Jesus' love and forgiveness for us, the fact that he went to the cross for each of us, we will never have that kind of transformed life, ever. That out of love for us, He went to the cross. Romans 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Everyone Everyone needs the Savior. So Jesus offers you the same. And if you really understand what the cross is all about and what the promise of the Holy Spirit is all about to transform our lives, what begins to happen? We are transformed personally. We begin to no longer live for ourselves, guarding our own turf, wanting to win. We seek to live for Him. We seek to live for other people, the relationships with other people. We care about other people's life and their salvation. And the witness of our own lives to touch them. To offer them the love and forgiveness. And still offer them the truth, by the way. Jesus was always about truth and righteousness. To speak the truth in love. And we respond to him with extravagance in the giving of our lives. All that we are and all that we have. We're in stewardship season right now. Jesus says where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. What do you treasure in your life?
Really? Who and what do you treasure and how is that reflected? By what you have and what you do and what you give. This woman knew her life was saved. She knew it. Do you know that's why Jesus came for you? Do you understand what it means for him to be your Savior? And then for him to be your Lord? Because that's why he went to the cross. And that's why he sent his Spirit. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes we cheapen the grace that you've offered to us. Because we take it lightly. Or because we've never fully comprehended the gift that we've been given. Lord, that you went to the cross to show the depth of your love for us. The depth of our need for forgiveness. You sent your Holy Spirit because we cannot change ourselves. That if we would live for you, and we would live to bless others, that we must be transformed. Lord, help us to truly comprehend what it means that you came to be our Savior. That you gave your life for us, that our forgiveness was costly. But that your grace is extravagant. And Lord, help us to offer our lives in extravagance in return. To seek to live for you with all that we are and all that we have because you gave yourself for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.